nights when one drink with the girls turns into a bottle, but you need your car for brunch the next day. There's pickup. Or at Friday work drinks, where you don't want to leave your car with expensive tools at the pub. There's pickup. Don't miss out on the fun. Get a pickup. Simply book on our app, and we'll pick you up to drive you and your car home. Two drivers arrive, one drives you home in your car, and the other driver follows. Download the pickup app today. That's PKUP, and wake up worry free. Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. From the racetracks across Australia, and here's Inside Supercars. Welcome to Inside Supercars, Tony Whitlock and Craig Reville, and we've got an absolute treat for you. Larry Perkins is, of course, one of the doyens, one of the leaders, one of the men who set this category up to what it is today. There are people that he's forgotten more about motor racing and the way you go about it than most people will ever learn. And Larry was good enough to give me the time and for Craig to uh, talk about a number of subjects. And of course, this comes on the back of Larry being given an Order of Australia. And it's an Order of Australia that recognises a whole depth of his success over the years. Not just success in terms of winning a championship here or there, in terms of getting all the way to Formula One as a paid driver, not paying a paid driver. He became great friends with Bernie Eccleston and he learned his, his part on the grid there by sheer determination. He's a man who deserves to be listened to because what he thinks He's learnt the hard way. Anyway, it was a hard conversation that uh, we're going to have with him, and it's hard because Larry's up in his home country, Kawanji, which is up in the far north of the state, where, up where his father, Eddie Perkins, and Larry, as a young man, they learnt how to go motor racing. And so here it is, covering some of the depths of Larry's experiences and what led him to an order of Australia. Uh, yeah, g'day, guys. How you doing? It's a wet and windy day up there, is it? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah not, not raining, unfortunately, but that's life, yeah. You must have been uh, pleasantly surprised to have been given this uh, great commendation, the uh, Queen's Birthday Honours, uh, to get an Order of Australia. Oh, yeah, well, yeah I won't, it, it's okay. Uh, it's not something I set out when I was born to earn, but I won't give it back. No, and you're not clearing your mantelpiece out for it either, I imagine. Well, nothing much on the mantelpiece, so... Uh, I'll wait and see what it looks like when I get it. I'm interested, Who do you know who's going to present to you your Order of Australia medal? I assume the Queen. <laughs> and in lieu of her <laughs> not making it down here? <laughs> uh, that's a fair way away. I, 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 if I have to be down in Melbourne, I'm sure I'll be down there. Yeah. Did the process take very long from when they suggested or, or approached you about uh, taking the honour to when the announcement was made? Well, from their point of view or my point of view, I mean, it's taken me, taken me 71 years, so that's a fair while. But uh, um, no, they did make a uh, reach uh, if I would be acceptance of it some weeks ago, and I said, oh, that sounds right. And Does this honour mean differently to a Hall of Fame award that you've received or a trophy that you've got in your cupboard? Well, all the worst things in are mostly from uh, race life, and uh, when when you get something not from racing life, it's in that, uh, uh, you know, other life. I was going to say the real life, but that's not the real life. It's another uh, odd life. But, yes, it's a bit 
sits a bit different. Sits alone in that cupboard, that side of the cupboard, I must admit. Yeah. Larry, uh, we had racing at the weekend at Hidden Valley, uh, the uh, fifth round of the 2021 series. Um, just maybe, uh, obviously, you didn't, uh, none of us had experienced anything like uh, until 2020 arrived, and we had the COVID and the pandemic. Um, you obviously uh, have a city life and a country life. The the uh, pandemic would have had a fairly big impact on you and your travels. Well, not an impact. I've just got on with my life and just ignored uh, communist Victoria. Um, and I've, so I've been having fun. So I've been up here. Like a month to me is, you know, every moon. Well, one thing you used to look for a lot of the time was horsepower. I, I was listening to an interview I did with you 20-something years ago where you were certainly a man who always was beating your own path and you were adamant that the Holden engine was better than the, the Chevy engine and you were working on that quite diligently. How do you feel when you say here that a series is going to can seriously consider this crate engine model? Well, it depends on mine out of business. We should start in time because, uh, you know, uh, I could always do things cheaper than others because of efficiency and good dedicated staff. And, uh, you know, if you have a crate engine, you, you just rip the lid off and put it in the car you wouldn't have enthusiasm from the team or an engine shop and so on, and that defeats the whole purpose of why I went racing. So I wouldn't be a contestant at all if uh, if the direction I'm reading about uh, presses on. You know, things like uh, us, you know, getting success with the Holden engine when everyone else wanted to do something else or no one would invent the Larry bar anymore again and things like that, I find it... Uh, you know, uh, throws cold water on all the reasons I went racing, uh, which was competition and a bit of ingenuity. One of the things that your career has that most of your contemporaries, those that you raced against, um, didn't have. I mean, for one thing was a very large and successful open wheel career going all the way to Formula One, but also innovation. You talk about the solar challenge. You talk about round Australia rallies in the, in the Volkswagen. Um there were numerous things that you did, you and Hans Solstrup together, um, very different to any of you. You obviously had a mind that just needed to, to work on things. Well, that's what I like doing. And, uh, you know, don't forget, I've never employed a PR person or anything and that side of the world, no time for it all. And I uh, just did my own thing and it was, uh, you know, if, it's, if it worked, it worked. If it didn't work, it, I, I wouldn't... Uh, you know, interested in uh, how something may have read in a press release, so I just did the own thing. It does actually might divert there slightly to a couple of things. One was you're now rebuilding your original Volkswagen, the Round Australia, which was your father's car originally? Negative. No, no. I, the Repco uh, Volkswagen 979, I made that, and I rebodied it in 84 for the wins. And... Um, it's yeah, I'm just tidying it up. But now I've always had it. I parked it in the shed and switched the key off, so it's not far away from going. Just just tidy tidying it up. Yeah, no, the, my dad's era was in the fifties, and of course he, he was in the the great days of the uh, Round Australia Rally, which was the Red X rallies. Correct. Which... Oh, the Red X. There were three Red Xs, and then the Mobile Gas Trials. Yeah, and your father being Eddie Perkins. Yeah.
Yeah. Another part of the divergence for you, and which puts your name in another area of the, the world, and that was the black box, your, your aeronautical background, the fact that you uh, developed something for helicopters and light planes that, you know, you, you just seem to find all these different avenues of things. Well, that was designed for turbine uh, engine aircraft, whether it be helicopters, light planes or whatever, and uh, the market didn't have an affordable one, and that was great. And I, after a while I worked out, my only competition was Pratt & Whitney, which is a reasonably big company in in uh, in Canada, and um, I found my product was better, and I had over 500 customers who were very happy to... Uh, reckon my product was better than theirs, and uh, but yeah, it was something else I wanted to do. Uh, yeah, you know, as I say, I, I got a, I have enthusiasm for a product and just get on with it. Now, of course, um, you also involved um, in the developing of software um, and engine management systems uh, in the days, the early days of the V8 five liter series. Um, did that sort of lead you in the direction of this black box for helicopters and turbine engines? It did. Uh, you know, um, it goes way back to even before that, 1968 um, Ampol trial. You know, I was in a Citroen with my dad and had the electronic uh, everything on it. Everything still had brothers and I thought that's pretty cool. And, uh, and then when we were fooling around with uh, computer stuff on our race cars, I think started in 1988, um, uh, I, I thought that aviation would be very modern and have it all, but it didn't. And uh, hence, uh, yeah, yeah, it had it at a half a million dollar entry fee, but not at a practical level. So I got on with it. Throughout your time in, in motorsport and aeronautical business, you've seen that Australia competes well and truly on an international stage. It must be a bit of a shock for you to hear this talk about Ilmore, who obviously are an extremely successful international engine business, but them having involvement in our category in terms of, you know, being uh, getting parity across them. I mean, this seems a, a strange thing to be happening. Well, it's certainly strange, and all I can say is that the teams can't be as broke as they all sook and moan on about, because if you were that broke, you wouldn't be ringing up Ilmore, I can promise you. It's a tremendously good company, but it doesn't need to happen, I might add, but, you know, the team owners have obviously got far too much money, or in other ways, they're not broke enough yet, um, whichever way you say it. I don't know, I just don't understand why you'd do that. As you'd be aware, I mean, we've, we've reached a, a pretty good parity between what now is the ZB Commodore and the Mustang in that, you know, unfortunately it's a two-door versus a four-door and we're now moving towards two two-door cars, the Camaro versus the Mustang. You must be pleased at least that, to know that the category that you, you were there when it was born back in uh, 91, 92, to have seen the way in which it has developed and, okay, there have been some hiccups along the way, but it's still very strong. Well, it's, it's developed, uh, most of the development, don't forget, happened in the 90s and the early 2000s, but every time they make a rule, it takes away a, a bit of uh, freedom or ingenuity that teams can contribute to you. You, you lose something else, don't forget, and, uh, you know, the drivers have all lost their individuality. There's very few that... Uh, 
the Joe public would know these days because they've been watered down by the rules and they're not allowed to say shit for a shilling or whatever. Uh, that's, you know, that's uh, regrettable. Um, but look, if that's the way they want it, they're getting what they want. But uh, it's not for me. Uh, uh, as simple as that. Yeah, it's not, I'm glad I'm not involved anymore, even though I'm not trying to it's just a, a, a different world and uh, it wouldn't have suited me we had a chat larry oh, a number of years ago now and you were at the time lamenting that supercars or a vesco back in those days was going down sort of the dia diametrically opposed path to your logic of the world and that was they were going to single components single suppliers as opposed to what you were telling me at the time was if you want to run a Wiseco piston, if you want to run a JE piston or piston rings, both of them should be, I think you said mechanically equal and you go and do the deal and, and run the one that you think is the best. And uh, you, you did sort of uh, give me the impression at that time that you believed that a single source series wasn't the long-term solution for supercars well it's not it's not it, it, you lose enthusiasm I mean, if singles if single sourcing was any good uh you know everyone would just go and buy the cheapest car you can off the production line what are they about 10 grand for a Kia or Goggermobile or something and you go racing but you need enthusiasm to go racing. That's what racing's all about, competition and enthusiasm. And you, you for sure, the control costs, some items need to be single-sourced, but not items that a reasonably tu uh, competent tuning shop can produce themselves and considerably cheaper. And uh, you have pistons, for instance. Uh, most tuning shops don't want to make a piston, so fair enough. Let's regulate it in a manner. But um, exhaust pipes, for instance, why would you regulate the exhaust pipe? If if the tuning shop can't make an exhaust pipe, uh, if a bunch of blokes with welders, well, they shouldn't go racing. Is that something that took a lot of the fun out of the sport for you when they started locking down more and more components? Well, because I spent most of my life resisting the locking down of the wrong components, and so we never ever got to lock down wrong components. Um yeah, as simple as that. I mean, uh, when I made my brake caliper uh, and didn't have to do a brake pad change at Bathurst, uh, they quickly stopped that with a rule. But I was using my ingenuity to get ahead of the pack. And, you know, some people have got a checkbook. Some people, you know, are good with the PR and someone, you know, they took away one of my main assets the way I went racing and uh, but no we had a what we ended up with was a fair balance and uh, uh, that's what I say when I, I was mostly never arguing with the Vesco let's get that right I was arguing with fellow team owners who didn't know what was going on. You may not be aware that just recently uh, supercars um, and Sean Seam is the head of them now um, they've released a, another wreck a racing entitlement contract um, to uh, Tickford to be back as a four-car team. Um, but they didn't release one to Matt Stone Racing, which is Jim Stone's son, who already races two cars this year, and they want to run a third. It seemed a very strange thing to me that, um, you know, they, they're concerned about <laughs> restricting the number of cars, you know, sort of when they have the opportunity. Someone's wanting to get another licence, wanting to get out there now, 
I know that there is a limit they have because, you know, they need to limit the amount of the, the size of the pie slices, so to speak. But um, the, the whole way in which the Cochrane and y- yourself was involved in the instigation of these rice, racing entitlements, um, licenses they used to be called, do you think that that still is the way that the category should be going in? Well, there's, there's no other way. Don't forget, uh, um, you, you know, you need competitors and you need to have a, a helpful environment. And then, you know, we, we were having, for instance, too many competitors and you had to waste money by trying to qualify at one stage. And then all the guys that didn't qualify spent a lot of money and went home. It didn't help anyone. But the wreck uh, as it stood was a, a fine document. I don't know any detail what elements that they could change and I would have thought if someone uh, you mentioned um, Stone Racing uh, wanted to get a wreck, it's, uh, it was a market force. If you go and buy one and there was nothing that said uh, you know, you, you can't be a buyer. If you had more money than the other team, you should have been able to buy one of someone. So I don't understand, uh, you know, any of the detail of why you raised that issue. You know, things have certainly changed from a time when uh, a few years back then certainly a licence to race in the category sold for some hundreds of thousands. seems an incredibly low price from where it had been. Well, I, I just don't know. I have no knowledge of any of that. Uh, as I say, um, the wreck was um, uh, the only people who can change the wreck is the shareholders and uh if they've chosen to do that, one would assume they thought it through. So I, I just can't comment on it. Don't know no knowledge of what they're trying to do there. And you'd you'd be pleased to know that one of your old employees, Sean Hockey, is still involved at uh, Kelly Grove Racing now. They've uh, had success this year in Andre Heimgartner winning a race. So he's obviously still doing a great job building V8 engines. Yes, he's always done a great job, and uh, he started with me around about 1990, 91. Did uh, all my um, um, yeah, own race engines, and yeah, did a tremendously good job. And I don't know if he's still at Kelly's. Not if he is, that's great. Uh, no, a fine individual. I, I had quite a few of them, but he was certainly one that stood out a lot. When you worked with so many people over your career, and you saw them going on to do things around Australia, Asia Pacific and all the other places that they moved on to, did you have a feeling of pride and a feeling of um, satisfaction that you were able to pass on that sort of training? Well, uh, uh, yes, of course I have. And uh, a lot of guys, uh, Jeff Gretsch or Dean Orr or the list is huge. Uh, they all went, you know, left or whatever for lots of reasons and, uh um, a lot of them made very good success and I, I'm delighted that they were able to do that and I'd like to think, yes, uh, I started them when they came to me wanting a job and said they had all the right stuff and they delivered. So, yes, a fantastic result for them. Are you still as enthused by the projects that you are dreaming up now as you were when you were younger? Exactly, that's why I still do <laughs> That's why I'm standing out in the wind blowing and freezing and working on my old caterpillars right now. <laughs> I got better I could do I'd be doing other things, but this is what I like doing. <laughs> it just might uh, not be at the same speed you used to work. 
Well, uh, it's, the days is always run out before they before you want them to. And uh, but no, look, you got to do what. Yeah, you know, I've moved on. Racing was a part of my life, uh, and before that, I was repairing windmills. So yeah, the, the life moves around a bit, and I don't get stuck in a groove. That's for sure. Jack still out there racing and participating. How has that experience been? Of then, like your father did, saw you racing. Well, he always wanted to do his own thing and didn't want, no matter what uh, his mother and I wanted to tell him, he, he's doing and he's want, doing what he wants to do. It. He loves it. He's he's passionate about his uh, work. He does, uh, you know, restoration of some of our older cars and uh, commentary work. He loves it all. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm delighted that he's. Uh, uh, pressing on like that and knows what he wants to do and then does it with great enthusiasm. Yeah, great. And I imagine that uh, come October, Larry, that you'll find a reason to find a television set to sit down when he's uh, climbing on board a, another Holden Commodore because uh, uh, it, it must give you great thrill to uh, see your son. As you well know, and it, but it takes another father to say it to you, Jack is a delightful young man. I mean, I've known him since he's about eight or nine years old, having met him up at Bathurst those, all those years ago. And he's a delightful young man. And I consider him, he's got one of the finest young racing brains in this country. He's enormously smart when it comes to racing. And I know where he got it from. Uh, and it must be uh, wonderful to uh, to see that and to be able to watch it this year will be good for you. Yes, I win Jack's race, and I indeed watch the races. Not, not the slightest doubt about that. And but I may even be at Bathurst this year because I, uh, um, I don't know. I think Jack's putting together a book for Perkins Engineering, and uh, uh, whether whether it's going to be ready by then or not. But I've heard something along the lines it might be. So, um, uh, but yeah, no, I enjoy watching it. Uh, yeah, look forward to him racing. I obviously want him to have great success. Yeah. Old sparring partner Dick Johnson says the only thing you get from looking back is a crook neck. But have you had time to reflect? No, I'm a bit like Dick. Keep moving forward. What you did is done. Move forward. I'm sure you're an idiot if you don't uh, try to learn from it. But, you know, what I do, most things I, I do with massive enthusiasm and have had very few regrets. Oh, Larry, thank you so much for joining us today. I uh, thoroughly enjoy always talking to you. You've taught me a number of things about journalism that uh, I took the tough lesson of someone saying to me, don't quote me, I didn't say that. <laughs> That's right. hearsay you told me. <laughs> hey, I, don't know I remember it well, Larry. <laughs> no, good. Sorry, the line's a bit harsh uh, up here, but we're in the third world, the Mallee up here, and the signal's not so hot. Yeah. All right, mate. Well, thank you for joining us on Inside Supercars. It's been wonderful to talk to you, on, and I look forward to catching up maybe at uh, Bathurst in October. Cheers for now and best of luck with all your projects. Thank you, guys. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next time for more or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited.